When we look at perfectionism and all the things that we've been talking about, so from body image to accomplishments academically or in the workforce to parenting our children, there is this expectation of perfection of women that is fed to us from day one. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes and not intended to diagnose and treat any physical or mental illness. And while our guest, Dr. Jen, is a doctor, she's not your doctor. So we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. I'm glad I made you giggle before the show even started. That's a good sign. What That's fantastic. That's a, that was beautiful disclaimer. I love that. <laughs> so today on the show, we have Dr. Jennifer Douglas, and you might know her on Instagram as Dr. Jen Official. I've been following you for a while because I first got into anti-perfectionist work, so to speak, when I became a foster parent. It's this kind of a long journey and we'll talk more about it, but there's a lot of self-awareness that came of like parenting a high needs traumatized child and we've had several. And so I have been following your work for a really long time. And what I love is that it's very down to earth, very simple, very executionable, actionable, probably a better (laughs) word. And so I'm excited for you to share some of that with our listeners because we've talked about perfectionism a lot in both how it can cause anxiety and how it can be disruptive to your health and all these different topics. And I think you'll be able to kind of bring it all together and help us feel confident in moving forward in a direction for change. So I do want to kind of give our listeners a little introduction. If you don't already follow Dr. Jen, you are at the Stanford University School of Medicine. You teach perfectionists to let go and love their lives. Although it's not the only work that you do. Not the only work I do. (laughs) It seems to be what resonates with a lot of people and is something that you crafted into, I was going to say, like what you've perfected and what irony that would have been. (laughs) You've leaned into. I've not perfected it, my process. But yes, I focused on it a lot publicly. Yes. And you do have individual clients as well. What I also very much appreciate is that in your bio, you say that you teach culturally sensitive psychology and it's the bedrock of your therapy philosophy. And I think that's so important in today's day and age. I wish that when I was going through therapy as a teenager and in my early 20s, I would have had like a better understanding of the culture around me and how my own neuroses or selfishness or self-centeredness, which I think was like something we talked about a lot, almost with intention. I became a much better person when I started thinking about how I related to others, right? Like how they could benefit me and I could benefit them. And that could be a really beautiful symbiotic love relationship. So, which is where I think oftentimes you talk about relationships with perfectionism, like being a parent and how 
perfectionism can be really harmful, both in the way that you model and your expectations and that kind of stuff. So welcome to the show. Hopefully that gives our listeners a little understanding of what your work is. But if you could tell us more about yourself and how you got to where you are today before we jump into (laughs) the many questions I have for you. Absolutely. So I'll give you a miniature version of the roundabout way I found myself as a psychologist. So then found myself focusing on perfectionism because I think it all feeds into the same story. So I wasn't planning on being a psychologist at all. I took a class because it was Fridays at 1 p.m. So I didn't have to wake up early and go out on Thursday night. And it was about eating disorders. So I went to this very small college, but there was this renowned eating disorder expert there. And I walked into that class. I took that class. and I left. I was like, I'm going to spend my life treating this. I'm going to be a psychologist. Yay. And then I did. <laughs> and so then when I became a psychologist and was in graduate school learning to treat eating disorders, it became so obvious to me that it wasn't just about body image solely. It is informed by trauma, is informed by impossible perfectionistic expectations. It's It is informed by the culture in which we insist on not supporting women unless they fit into a certain box. And then that caps out at a certain age. And so it was this very intersectional work. And so then when I started to expand my practice to get trained in things like PTSD, OCD, et cetera, then it became a more clear and holistic picture of sort of how we have to exist as humans to withstand all the pressure we get externally from our world. And when I started to do this more, you know, social media education for folks, because we can't give treatment, but we can give education, what the underpinning that I saw in my own individual work with folks under many of the difficulties that people came in with was this thread of perfectionism. The folks who come in and they're burned out because they're working 65 hours a week. And oh, by the way, they also have children and are expected to have the bake sale, you know, muffins ready on Thursday at 8 a.m. You know, the folks who are dating and dating but have such high expectations themselves that a partner can't actually rise to that occasion because the expectations are so impossibly high. When we look at body image and folks, you know, absolutely taking all of their time and energy and often destroying their health in order to obtain something that is impossible and was fed to us inaccurately. I grew up in the 80s and 90s uh, that it absolutely is impossible. And so seeing that thread throughout these different issues that people were having, it's this beautiful thing where I can educate folks online. I think we reach something like upwards of 400,000 people a month. You know, I'm sure you have similar reach. And to see how it's changed lives with something that's accessible, like you said, it's actionable. You can give education on it. It's not therapy. It's not a formal diagnosis, but it makes a huge impact on people's day-to-day lives when they can let go. I am so fascinated by that being the trajectory. And I think it really resonates a lot with my own journey as someone who had an eating disorder as a teenager, struggled with a lot of the concepts that you're talking about, and now raising my own teenagers. One of the things that we actually talk about is how eating disorders are also another way to control. And so like as a parent, oftentimes when I see restrictive behaviors or binging behaviors come up, I, as a parent, think, okay, how can I enable, how can I give power to this child who's struggling? How can we talk about what might be bothering them? And I think if you, obviously, if you have therapy and you're working with a medical professional, that's great. Sometimes though, needing to be in the moment to recognize those things and having done the work and then being able to kind of have that 
cycle of, oh, I'm recognizing this behavior. What's the root of the behavior? I took this training called Collaborative Problem Solving by Think Kids. Have you ever heard of that? No, it sounds wonderful. It is wonderful. And now that I've taken it, anytime I see any sort of like movie or show where parents are like, no, you will do this thing. I'm like, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know? And now yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm the parent that's like, let's talk about your feelings. Which yes. Is the opposite of how I was raised. And like, you know, but that my parents did what they know how to do. And now that we know better, we can do better. And I'm sure 50 years from now, my children are going to be looking at what I did thinking I yes. need to be doing more. But that's how, of course. That's how we improve over time. That's how we evolve, not just physically, but also emotionally, mentally. So I love that you've had your own evolution in your career journey and are where you are today as well. So I know we talked about it right before the show started, but you haven't heard of Jeffrey Marsh, correct? I have not, but I live under a rock. I have, you know, kids, so I live under a rock. (laughs) I think that you would love them. They, I did a coaching session with them for our foster child who's trans non-binary because I wanted to like be a better parent. And the coaching session was like 98% about me and my perfectionism and like needing to let go of some of that stuff. And it was really the first awakening that I'd had on how that was affecting myself and my children. Like they were saying, if you want to be a better parent, like you have to start by forgiving yourself and not being a perfectionist mm-hmm. yourself in order to encourage your children to do those things. And I was like, this is amazing and awesome. So it was one of the first topics that we dove into on this new season of the show. And we've continued to talk about it with other guests because I have a lot of listeners with autoimmune diseases and things that I know nice. that are affected by us taking on these anxieties. I thought instead of kind of doing a normal show where I kind of interview that we could engage instead in some of the snippets that you share on social, keeping it to education and not therapeutic advice, of course, so that we can all perhaps unlearn some of those maladaptive behaviors that we may have developed, like perfectionism, which was definitely the case for me that enabled me to definitely be a better person and parent. And then we can maybe have dialogue on what some of those underlying messages may ultimately mean or how we can unravel the roots that drive some of the behavior. So can we start by talking about your most recent post? And I know listeners, it's probably not the most recent post by the time the show goes live, <laughs> but it's the most recent one that is in this time warp that we're in is posted. And I was just talking about unmet needs yesterday with colleagues as it related to being unable to be self-aware. Like I was explaining to a colleague how Maslow's hierarchy of needs works and that they had some people that they were working with that they were frustrated by, couldn't have, that were lacking self-awareness. And I was explaining to them that as leaders, we could potentially tap into how some of their needs are being met. Because if you're seeing someone not be able to access those higher states of self-awareness, it usually is because they're feeling unsafe or threatened in some way in their life. And, you know, between the collective trauma that we all have from a global pandemic, from publicly witnessing horrendous social justice and mass shootings that are happening, concerns are just abound. And I think a lot of us feel like we're kind of walking in this weird haze right now, which would lead to someone feeling unsafe, among many other things that might be happening in life. So I'm wondering if you could start by talking about your post, which said specifically 
how is perfectionism bred from unmet needs? Yes. So a lot of people, and I'm sure there are folks listening right now who are actually getting down on themselves for being perfectionists and that they're not perfect in healing their own perfectionist for them, like on their draft to work listening to this. For me, I was in complete denial that I was a perfectionist. That's another Of course. Yes. Of course. And I I had someone recently say to me, I can't be perfectionist because what I'm producing isn't perfect. (laughs) And there is the key to identifying perfectionism. So if anyone's thinking that, think about that more. But when we talk about there, there are several avenues in which perfectionism can sort of take hold and take root in our lives. And one of them is this route of unmet needs. And so many folks, this can begin when we're children, when we're quite small, which is why we don't notice it because we don't know anything different. But if a child's needs are unmet, then like you're talking about hierarchy of needs, we will do anything within our power to get our needs met. and. Children learn very early that they are reinforced for good behavior, quote unquote, good grades, quote unquote, being the good kid, quote unquote. You know, many of the folks who I've worked with over the years, they might have a sibling who might be more high needs or more dysregulated. And they're known as the sibling who always comes home with the A on the spelling bee, with, you know, staying quiet at dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And so when there are those unmet needs, this person will strive, strive in order to get the positive reinforcement, the feelings of love from this family system. And then once that sort of dynamic is put into place, doesn't get arrested unless we're very conscientious, recognizing that it happens and then interrupting it. And so when we talk about perfectionism being bred from unmet needs, it's not only so we can understand it and do something about it, change it, but it's also to validate our own experience and why this was developed in the first place. There was a good reason. I think also I should probably do a disclaimer for the parents of perfectionists. Like I think you said, you know, forgive yourself if you have these things. I also just want to give forgiveness to parents of perfectionists because we it's never the intention of anyone to keep love or with, you know, I would like to think that for most people, we're not withholding love unless someone is perfect because that's an unreasonable Mm -hmm. expectation it is however a complete societal standard that is set up that we be an overachieving culture that we you know do these sort of activities and in thus we praise for those behaviors that are aligning to the cultural standard so it's natural and it's really difficult to unwind some of that behavior which is why we revisit over and over on the show and i know you revisit over and over on your social to educate because even as someone who is very aware, even as someone who is trying not to do it, of course, my kids come home with a report card and I want to say mm-hmm. like, oh my God, so great. And it takes yeah. effort for me to then say, I'm proud of you trying really hard. Are you proud of yourself? This is very different from me being yeah. like, you got honor roll. That's great. And it's effort and it takes more work. And it's certainly not what I was doing until a couple of years ago when I started doing this work. I just, I want to just give permission to all of the parents who might find some of these behaviors in themselves. Like, that's okay. We're all, like I said earlier, we're all doing the best that we can until we can do better. So, all right. Are we ready to move on to more education? Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Can you walk us through what perfection is related to avoidance means? So when we talk about perfectionism and avoidance, 
it sort of relates to the unmet needs conversation that we just had because perfectionism is designed. It's telling our brain, if you're just perfect, then you're going to get what you want. You're going to get your needs met. And so one of the ways in which perfectionism functions to maintain avoidance, which is a huge behavioral issue that we see it maintains these negative behaviors, is we are trying to avoid any bad circumstances from happening. So subconsciously, I think if I'm just the quote unquote perfect mom and I read these books and I do these activities with my child and I have every freaking wood Montessori toy, then it's going to be quote unquote perfect. And I'm never going to have to deal with feelings of uncertainty or inadequacy myself. I'm never going to have to struggle with seeing my child struggle in certain areas that I may or may not have struggled with as well. It's designed so that we tell ourselves if we just outwork ourselves, if we just outsmart all of these issues, we can avoid all of the painful parts of being human. Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox, and it is the best kind of deal that doesn't come around very often. Free ground beef for a year, plus $20 off your first order. We go through so much ground beef in this house from the kids making themselves burgers, which let me tell you, kids cooking for themselves is priceless, to casseroles and last minute dinners. It is our go-to staple, and I love that ButcherBox's is grass-fed. That means that the kids are getting health-promoting benefits like conjugated linoleic acid with healthy omega-3 fatty acids, not to mention how much better grass-fed beef is for the environment. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, shipped for free, frozen right to your door in an eco-friendly 100% recyclable box. No other delivery service compares to ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, wild-caught seafood. They are a certified B Corp focused on quality for you, the animal, and the planet. And we have a home-cooked meal nearly every night in our home. It could not happen without our ButcherBox stocked freezer. When we have what we need at home... We save money and time. ButcherBox has a variety of high-quality cuts at amazing values with exclusive member deals. And I recently added the kids' beloved smoked salmon, and it feels like magic that they're delivered without my needing to do a thing. You can choose from a variety of box plan options. We curate a custom one, which can be changed at any time. But lock in and get this deal because ButcherBox is giving you a special deal. Sign up today using code WHOLEVIEW to receive ground beef for a year plus $20 off your first order. That's two pounds of ground beef free in every box for a year plus $20 off your first order when you sign up at butcherbox.com slash WHOLEVIEW and use code WHOLEVIEW. I think that the way that you said it on social specifically was it's avoiding discomfort. And I think that's a really encompassing phrase that, you know, you're talking about specifically as it relates to needs and saying, okay, I have a need to, you know, feel safe. I'm going to seek safety with in, what my partner, for example, I'm going to be perfect for my partner. So my partner keeps <laughs> me safe. And Really, ultimately, if you have a partner and they love you and it's a mutually respectful relationship, 
perfection is not something that's expected of one another. Like I've been in a marriage for 20 years and neither one of us are perfect. And, you know, I get frustrated with behaviors that, you know, are less than ideal, but I also recognize that's part of who my partner is. And I can't have the great things about him if he wasn't doing the other things. Right. So for me, I think of discomfort as being like when he has made a mistake and has to come to me and say, I forgot to pick up your dry cleaning. Let's just use a really simple example. Of yes. like, I forgot. Yes. I forgot to pick up your dry cleaning. I know you're packing to go out of town. I'm sorry. You're not going to have the item that you wanted to take. That's super discomforting for him. And he's having to admit that he wasn't perfect in those moments. And it has taken us years for him to be able to even say, I didn't pick up a dry cleaning. Like he would avoid everything yeah. possible yeah. to have to say that to me, to pretend like, what are you talking about? You didn't tell me about dry cleaning, like the whole spiel. Yeah. And I think that is a skill that he learned in his youth, that he was afraid of getting in trouble with his parents because he has ADHD. He forgets things yeah. all the time. And so instead of just admitting that's what was happening, he would white lie and do all these kinds of things to avoid the discomfort of having to tell someone I'm not perfect. So I think, is that a relative example to yes. what you're talking about? Yeah. One thousand, thousand, thousand percent. Yes. And for me, it's driven by anxiety for sure. Like I mm -hmm. think that I can control the world and that I won't have any anxiety and everything's fine. I'm yep. just... I literally just put me in charge and then everything will be fine. <laughs> That's taken a lot to let go mm -hmm. of, to like not be that control freak perfectionist. I mean, I used yeah. to wear it as like a badge of honor. Like I'm a type A personality yeah. control freak. Not so great as I want. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Which brings me to, I think what I mentioned earlier, and I think you've had experience with, related to autoimmune disorders. So as I mentioned, we have a lot of listeners with autoimmune mm -hmm. disease. Can you share more about how symptoms of perfectionism can show up physically in our body and your own personal experience with this? Yes. Yes. So when we think about perfectionism and how it can relate, how it can grow into some of the things you're talking about, like anxiety and these types of things, that ongoing consistent pressure and constant pressure without a break, that's where we see resulting physical manifestations, things like muscle tension, neck pain, which can lead to migraines, and then in extreme forms. And, you know, because perfectionism isn't a formal diagnosis in the DSM-5 and kind of the psychiatry and psychology home, then you're not getting studies that are about particularly these things. But if you look at some of the other issues around stress levels, depression, anxiety, et cetera, and autoimmune, you do see that. So I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, which was 25. We're at our like 12 year anniversary. And at that time, in the month leading up to it, and at that time, I was working a full-time job. I was volunteering, I don't know, 10 or 15 hours a week in a eating disorder lab because my other job was not an eating disorder lab. It was another psychology lab. And then I was also doing something called a sexual assault response team, which is volunteering for in California. That's what you do if you want to volunteer to, to respond to those calls. And those calls were kind of the middle of the night. And so the actual number of hours that I was working, and I was young, I was 25. So I was also like going out with my friends three or four nights a week. Okay. 
And so perfectionists often, when I used to be a perfectionist, my 20s is definitely in that range. We often get caught into this sort of work hard, play hard cycle. You're nodding. Okay. So there was so much going on and I did such heavy work in my day job, also in the volunteer work that I did. And then you'd sort of make up for that by all your social support and having all this fun because, you know, you're young and you're running around. And there was no place for rest. There was also, no was place say, for Also because you would have too much guilt and anxiety if you actually rested and recovered. Like sat still. Yeah. Like the sitting <laughs> still is very unfamiliar. I don't think I sat for until I was 31 years old. And then you go, because again, this stuff starts when we're really young. So looking at that, it's not surprising to me that, that was the point at which I obtained this condition, which forced me to slow down, which literally my body said, you have to stop. You can't keep going. And even now in my late 30s, it's this absolute gift because I can't operate at that level. I could never do that anymore. And so it's a really interesting way in which our bodies give us very direct feedback that if we are not going to rest, they are going to make us rest. I think it's it's also interesting to look at, you know, different stressors because we say all the time, like autoimmune disease can be activated by, for example, getting the flu or having a vaccine that your body is then fighting the virus that's been put in and people associate like that mechanism together. But really it's, you know, whether you're pregnant, whether you're, you know, you got sick, it's a stress on the body. But we as humans oftentimes they're completely unwilling to admit the stress and anxiety from the pursuit of perfectionism or from, you know, doing too many things for trying to prove something to somebody is, could potentially be the cause of something negatively impacting their body. Like I talk to people all the time or like, you know, oh, I had this negative reaction from this, you know, fruit. And I'm like, okay, tell me what else is going on in your life right now. Did you recently get sick? Did you travel? Did you not get good sleep? Is anything happening with your family that's stressful? Oh, yeah, you know, I'm going through a divorce right now and I had the flu last week and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, your body is stressed in more ways than just that. Yeah, <laughs> <That's the fruit. laughs> maybe you had an allergic reaction to the fruit, but maybe that yep. was also heightened by the fact that you have all these stresses going on in your life. Yes. You need to kind of focus on those things. And, you know, I focus so much on food and diet and elimination diets and all these things for so long. And it has been huge for me to realize that there was so much that was going on emotionally in my life that was causing these physical problems. Yeah. And, you know, it was easy from a perfectionist type tendency to focus on the thing that I can control. The thing yes. I can control oh. is the food that I put in my body. This is something like, tell me the rules of living a certain lifestyle. Tell me exactly what I need to do, mm -hmm. what supplements I need to take, what, you know, the foods to blah, 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 blah. And all that was just another way to be perfectionist about a lifestyle, to control things and all that stuff. And so for me to become aware of these things was difficult, first of all, but also yeah. enabling like tremendous personal growth and the ability to be self-aware to something that like I really did not understand before like it was not something I connected yeah. and I know that being a foster resource parent to traumatized youth was kind of like catalyst for that for me because I realized in learning about 
maladaptive behaviors in general, right? Like coping skills. I was like, oh, this is a maladaptive coping mechanism for me. That's that's so great. I can't possibly help these kids if I'm not helping myself. So it meant for, you know, a long time that I was modeling something I didn't really want to instill in my children when I was being a perfectionist, when I was never resting, when I was doing, you know, I had a full-time job. I had a full-time side hustle. I podcast, I blog, I did all these things. I have at the time three children and like, that's not what I want for them. I, unless, you know, they are fueled by a passion to help others and like they're loving every minute of it. But for me, I was not loving my corporate job. I was there, there was not like joy in all of these things that I was doing. And I realized that I was teaching my children something that I didn't really want to teach my children. So, One of the things that I was hoping we could talk about is how to parent away from perfectionism. And I guess for a lot of us, that includes how to fill the need that we ourselves may have driving some of that behavior, right? Like if our needs weren't met when we were children and we developed these behaviors, or maybe it was developed in college as a way to get through the different things that you need to do. It doesn't necessarily have to be a parent-driven thing, right? Like Yep. These maladaptive oh, yeah. behaviors can come from a lot of different places. I don't want to put it all on parents, but no, no. for those of us that might have some unresolved issues still, how can we then move forward in a way to support and parent our children to do it differently? Yes, absolutely. And you're right. Just to speak to the routes, we talked about one route where it can start in childhood, but some of the other routes that I talk about are in adulthood, three things like the big corporate job. For some folks, the perfectionism doesn't come until their parents. And then suddenly they see this flare. It can literally be related to hormones, all kinds of different routes. So in terms of parenting away from perfectionism, this is my favorite thing because I'm like in the thick of it now with my small human. And it's just magical when you do it and when you see the change. I'm trying to think exactly what happened last night because I was like hitting the roof. I was so elated. Something happened. I forgot to order something in our grocery pickup or something like that. And my daughter was sitting at the dinner table and my husband and I were finishing up dinner. And I said, oh yeah, hun, you know, I forgot to like add the butter or something like that. And she goes, yeah, mama, everybody makes mistakes. (laughs) And and I was like, good job. Because she hears me say these things all the time. She goes, and that's okay. We all love each other. like, yeah. And oh, this is a bigger win for me. She's fine. She's just her oh, fine. So cute. But, you know, this is something that is so important to drive home and where it comes up. And you know this from, you know, all of the parenting, parenting literature, where it comes up over and over again is modeling. And so I'm constantly bringing up when I forget something or mess something up or color outside the lines, do these things so that she can me not get angry with myself so she can see my husband not react negatively so she can see that all is not lost because when we have perfectionism ourselves and it and you know many moms out there will say no i love my child no matter what and they do they love their children no matter what their child doesn't have to get a's their child doesn't have to fit a certain body type but then they say well, then when you challenge them and say, what about your perfectionism? They say, oh, no, I need to do these things. I need to accomplish to this level. And as you know, as a parent of teens, our kids can see right through that. 
starting at age three. You know, if we say clean up your room and make your bed, your bed, my bed's not made as the parent, they're not going to do that. And so it's this beautiful thing where we have to engage in self-compassion and we have to engage in allowing imperfection ourselves. And that's when our children really begin to thrive. And, you know, you add on top of it the really clear messaging, you know, oh, you don't have to do soccer. You don't have to score the winning goal, you know, those types of things. But only when we're also modeling it ourselves does it really take root and take hold in that child's value set. Because if we're saying, you know, do as I say, not as I do, that's not going to break the intergenerational pattern. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. I have personally used Indeed with great success, and it was the first place I told Cole to check out when he was in search of his first job. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With their instant match feature, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in a search, according to US Indeed Data. Instant Match makes it so simple for employers and candidates alike. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a shortlist of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. I know I would have applied if they'd had that option back in ye olden days when I got my career break with Indeed. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Indeed.com slash WholeView. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I love that you use the word compassion because I feel like we all strive to be compassionate with other people, right? Like we want to be empathetic and understanding of others. Yet when it comes to ourselves, at least for perfectionists, I don't know what it would be like to not be a perfectionist. Like what's (laughs) some sort of like magical thing to live in? Like a beach, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) right? Like I don't know. I don't like sand, not the beach. Lake house, maybe. Lake house. But I... You know, when I make a mistake, my brain immediately is, it's like a fist beating up my brain. Like, it's just like beating itself up. Like, you made this mistake, you bad person. And I have to actively be like, I have to, I'm going to channel your daughter's voice. Like, it's okay. Everybody makes mistakes and we still love ourselves. Like, I am (laughs) still having that self-chat with myself because it is not natural for me to have that compassion. I am the person that's like, it's okay for everybody else to make mistakes, but I can't make one. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I realized that my kids were starting to hold themselves to that standard. I have my middle child in particular. <laughs> classic middle child. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, mom, I'm so sorry, but I might get a C in this class. And I was like, are you trying? Are you doing everything that you can? Yes. Do you want a tutor? No. 
okay, then you're getting a C. Like, and he's like, you're not <laughs> mad at me? I'm mad at you. Like, you're doing what you can, you know, not everything comes to us naturally. And like, I just saw this like huge relief wash over him. Like he was just, you know, he had this belief that he was going to get in trouble. And, you know, it caused me to have this conversation with him. Like, are you putting a ton of pressure on yourself to get A's and B's? You know, because I think that's great. And if that's really hard for you and you're feeling stressed out about that, like we need to talk about it. And I think that I somehow realized in those moments that like, that was something that he saw me do right like he knows that I hold myself to super high standards we I work from home I work with my husband we are often at the dinner table talking about you know different parts of our day or our work oftentimes we share I mean Mm -hmm. I have podcast guests on and I'm like do you I had Jeffrey Marsh on the podcast they know who that is because they're on TikTok you know like (laughs) and so they see me set a high standard for myself and as much as I think that's great and I wouldn't be who I was without that there's also the element of needing to have compassion with myself when it when I don't meet my goals or when you know the requirement to get where I want to go is more than I'm willing to give up to get there which is not a concept that I really understood before right like it was like that's where I'm going so if I have to chop off my leg to get there it's fine and I think as parents It is just so hard. And we talk about it from the concept of like body image as well, right? Like if you come from an ED world, it's the same thing. Like we can't say to our children, I love you no matter what you look like. I don't want you to diet, blah, blah, blah. But then be beating ourselves up about our body image or be restrictive with food or, you know, pinch parts of our body when looking in the mirror. Like you said, at three years old, our kids pick up on that. Like I know my kids better than they know themselves. And they know me better than I know myself, right? So that was something that we can do. The other part of what you talked about in this social post that I'd love to kind of dive a little bit into is this idea of enjoyment over achievement or memories, not milestones. And this is something that I really love to embrace and I feel like has been a game changer in terms of parenting even gift giving for example so now at christmas time we give an experience like we'll wrap it up and we'll put it on paper and we'll do whatever but then it's something that we can look forward to later can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by enjoyment over achievement or memories not milestones when thinking about how to parent with compassion absolutely so perfectionism sort of turns everything into a race with goalposts along the way. And parenting can very much turn into exactly that. Even from when the baby's born, you know, if you talk to a new mom and she's struggling with this, it's when are they holding their head up? Okay, when are they sitting up? Okay, when are they babbling? Okay, when are they making sounds? These types of things. And you see it with, you know, a 13-year-old. It's, you know, are they going to get the spot in the school play? You know, are they in the advanced track of math? Uh, you know, what's their social circle look like, et cetera? And so there's this risk of approaching parenting and approaching life as a checklist to be accomplished and burned through as quickly as possible, you know, reaching the next milestone, not really taking time to celebrate, but just looking at the milestone after that, because now you have a new goal. That's what parenting can feel like. And what is heartbreaking about when perfectionism goes unchecked is then the person often looks back at the last 
year or five years, 10 years, 20 years and says, oh my gosh, I wasn't present. I wasn't enjoying this. I, you know, I can remember the, you know, gold ribbons and gold stars, but I can't remember the random nights, you know, snuggling and reading stories. And so when we talk about that redirection of energy in parenting from milestones to memories, it's about exactly that. It's about present moment, you know, deep experience of our children because they're only that age for that incredibly, infinitely small period of time. And we don't get it. I remember some of my favorite moments when I only have one athletic child. I have four children and only one. It's <laughs> just fine with me. We're not a very <laughs> family. But he loved doing baseball and he wasn't very good at it. I just totally. And if you're listening to this podcast, I love you. <laughs> it made us so happy that he wanted to do it anyway. And my yes. husband was the same way about basketball. My husband was very short. He didn't want to be pretty until junior year of high school. He's very short. He loved basketball. He was terrible at it, but he loved it anyway. And there was so much pride for me knowing that I had parented a child who was not great at something, but wanted to do it anyway, because I am the opposite. If I tried to do a sport or a hobby or anything and I wasn't immediately good at like great at it I would quit I'd be like nope this is not for me I'm not perfect I'm not great I'm not naturally gifted at this no thanks it's not for me and so to see him embrace something that like wasn't you know mm -hmm. naturally amazing for him I and like you were talking about those memories like I remember being so happy for him when he would hit a ball and just like jumping up and screaming and you know like even if someone caught it even if he didn't like you know get around yeah. or whatever like I just remember those moments of like the triumph of his Brazilians that he was building and not being yeah. great at something enjoying it anyway and wanting to continue and then eventually having some of those moments that we were able to capture into memories of him being happy and filled with joy it wasn't perfect but it was great so Okay, so here's a little bit of a 180 for you before we're going to wrap. One of my personal favorites of your posts, you say, who gains from women's perfection? <laughs> so we're talking a lot about motherhood. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is my angry feminist moment. You'll allow me. So I'm, so a, I'm, I'm a minor in women's studies, so I'm here. I'm, let's I'm your go. Track. <laughs> okay, cool. Just making sure. So. It really is. And this is why I love the study of psychology and the study of sort of the evolution of how mental health shows up in different generations. So when we look at perfectionism and all the things that we've been talking about, so from body image to accomplishments academically or in the workforce to parenting our children, there is this expectation of perfection of women. That is fed to us from day one, whether it's in our, you know, news cycles, you know, celebrating the mom, the single mom with eight kids with three jobs sort of thing, whether it's, you know, the advertisements that were fed of these impossible body standards, whether it's looking at, you know, the impossible kind of, you know, image of motherhood and parenting and only showing the highlights and none of the difficulties and none of the sleepless nights and none of the crying and tantrums, et cetera. And so if you look at the system that benefits from this, it's everywhere. 
So whether somebody is caught up endlessly buying products, be that, you know, makeup or diets or exercise equipment that's going to gather dust because, you know, it was the next big fad, whether it has to do with a company that undervalues women. And so women are, you know, historically paid 30 to 40 percent less than men for the same work. So their bottom line is positively affected by women not stepping into their power, by women being affected by imposter syndrome, which is the other side of the coin of perfectionism, by the way, all of these ways in which there are entire economies and entire ecosystems built around women's perfectionism. And so the answer to that question that I find most interesting is, you know, who's benefiting from perfectionism in women? It's not women. It's businesses, it's men, it's systems that were set up to profit from our insecurities and so fighting it, I find to be this very intersectional, very social justice experience. And that's what's so energizing about it. And while I will keep talking about it all the time, despite, you know, I have other specialties and things like that, but this is the torch that I think we all deserve to carry. And for those, you know, listening who are mothers, you know, it's about the next generation and it's about them not having to deal with this. moms and caretakers, I know you are not practicing the self-care you deserve. This Mother's Day, whether you're celebrating, grieving, or simply processing big feelings, take time for you. One of my favorite ways is to indulge in safer self-care. Beauty Counter is raising up beauty. It's a little luxury that makes a positive impact on our health for all of our collective communities through legislative change and giving back, as well as for the earth through sustainable manufacturing practices with fair trade ingredients. For me, shopping is a way to vote with my wallet, with a brand that aligns to my values. If it's all new to you, give it a try with 20% off. Go to beautycounter.com slash and use code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off your first order. They stand behind their high-performance products with a fantastic 60-day, no-questions-asked return policy. If you're a longtime fan, refresh your makeup for spring and summer with Flawless in 5. The bundled makeup you can do in literally five minutes that I wear almost every day, discounted 20% as a set you can customize. And don't forget to add VIP perks for even more savings. Right now, it's $10 off. Plus, you get 10% back, free shipping, and a welcome gift on qualified orders. Currently, the Glofers Priming Serum, valued at $65, is the free gift. I know it sounds too good to be true, but seriously, Band of Beauty is not Columbia House or anything weird. It's just like Prime for better beauty. Just add SKU 9000 to your cart of $75 or more to take advantage of all the perks. Not sure where to start? I love helping you pick out just the right thing to love the skin you're in. Email me, Stacy at realeverything.com if you want help. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws while also giving back to people in the planet as a certified B Corp. Go to beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth, just like any other website. Choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, and use code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off at beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth. I think it's so well put and such a powerful question with so much behind it because whether it's a work environment or an unappreciative spouse or mm-hmm. you know a yep. industrial complex that's benefiting from something it 
keeps us all feeling inadequate in some sort of way, right? And then that drives us to do the thing that they need us to do. So I think the more we can become aware of the messages that are coming from people that how we feel from that, right? Like I had to do a whole social media overhaul. How do I feel after consuming different people's content? Yes. Like, you know, because while I might think that I want, one of your examples was reclaimed wood kitchen renovations, while I might think that like, oh, that's so beautiful. I want that. Was it driving me to feel inadequate about my own whatever Mm -hmm. in seeing those images? So it's just, it's important to have that like self-reflection to be aware. And I think also I love that you mentioned imposter syndrome we listeners did a podcast with kathy heller i don't know do you know yes yes yes. so we did an imposter syndrome show if you're feeling a lot of this is resonating with you definitely go listen to episode 43 um where we dive more into a lot of these kinds of things with kathy she was great to have on the show so Okay, as we wrap the show, I like to always leave listeners with some positive, actionable suggestions that they can take to be of service to work in themselves. And I, you mm-hmm. have a fabulous post about shifting to values-based living, and some might call it action over intent. And I think mm-hmm. since perfectionism often keeps us kind of stuck in our own heads, Sometimes we think that we're doing things because we have the intent, but our action doesn't necessarily align. And so I'd love if you could share some of those aligned values that someone could live that would help improve their enjoyment of life and maybe naturally Mm -hmm. let go of some of that perfectionism. Beautiful. So one thing that I'll mention is a lot of, especially perfectionists, can be overwhelmed by the idea of finding their values and perfectionism is so externally facing and there's so much focus on external validation that it's actually hard to sometimes get in touch with our values. So an exercise I really love to do, we call it the 80th birthday party. And it's the idea that it's your 80th birthday party. You know, you have all your families and friends there. You have generations. If you have kids, you have, you know, generations after you and people are toasting you. And they're talking about your life. And what they talk about is what you want them to talk about are the values that actually are important to you. So if you want people to raise their glass and say, oh my gosh, she was so fun to be around and she was the kind of friend you could talk about, talk or she was the kind of friend you could call at two o'clock in the morning and she'd be there for you. If you want them to raise your glass, you know, your kids to raise their glass and say, oh, you know, she always had my back. She always supported me no matter what. Those are sort of the values. Rarely does someone want at their 80th birthday party to someone to stand up and say, she stayed till 6.30 p.m. and made sure her inbox was at zero. That's how this kind of becomes clear. This is why I love this exercise. It's fantastic. It might be. And if it's actually your value, stay till 6.30 and get to inbox zero, please. Because that's the thing. It could be your value. And that's fine. But this idea of honing in our values and getting very specific when we know that it's that, like for me, I want to be one of those friends who someone can call at two in the morning. I want to be the kind of person who sticks with my kid through thick and thin, you know, all of that. Then how we put one foot in front of the other now actually becomes quite clear to us. And so I was signing my kid up for this, you know, drama camp and I was saying, oh yeah, I actually don't want to go to drama camp. Becomes different because I know she'd be fabulous at it. I would really love it. And if she's not ready right now, that's okay. 
And it's not about yes or no to drama camp and what we end up doing. It's about me blowing down, putting down the stuff that I was cleaning after dinner and sitting down with her in her bed and saying, tell me why you don't want to do drama camp and having that connection with her. That's what actually matters in that moment. So when we talk about values-based actions, it's literally how we put one foot in front of the other and how we spend our time throughout our day. And looking at it from that bird's eye view, there's a great book called 4,000 Weeks because that's how many weeks we have on this earth. On average, it's not very many, but any of these exercises that put into perspective that this is our chance to live the life that we want and that we shouldn't be waiting until we hit the next goalpost to do so. This is really interesting. I just, I've been watching Shrinking. Have you seen this? Oh, Apple? everyone told you to watch the show. Yes. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. It's a great show. And there's a Harrison Ford plays a therapist in his 70s who's getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. And he realizes at that point in his life that he's made the decision to clear out his email box every night rather than be there for his children. Like, literally, I just done the exercise. I don't know. I'm just watching the show last night. And I'm like, literally, just a little small world kind of moment there. The other thing that you suggest that I love is making a list of important things that people love and want to spend time on, like creating a pie chart of those things. And then creating a pie chart of how you're actually spending your time and figuring out how to align them. Because that was an exercise that I did and I realized work was everywhere. Like, because even even when we were having a family dinner, I was taking photos of the food and then posting them on Instagram. Like there was never a moment where I was having that real deep connection with it. I won't say I never. I rarely felt like I was having those really deep you know, connections, because in my mind, I was also multitasking at so many things, I wasn't allowing it to fully be absorbed. And so I think a lot of us think like, oh, on my deathbed, what will I be proud of? But the idea of like an 80 year birthday toast, like, I want to realign that before I get to 80 and realize people are saying the wrong things about me, or I want to realize it before I'm on my deathbed, right? I can look at how I'm aligning my time right now. And I choose to Sometimes, occasionally, if I take photos of my food still, and then I set my phone down and post it later when the kids are in bed or whatever. And that was really like a habit that I had to develop. And I'm sure that there are little things like that we can all do that when you really make your pie chart, you it makes it easier to be like, oh, this is not really where I want to be spending my time. I can definitely make more space for this other thing. Yeah, yeah it's magic. <laughs> okay, I... Loved our conversation today, Dr. Jen. Thanks for allowing me to stock your social media. And <laughs> we will put all the references and links in the show notes for you on Dr. Jen's posts and education. I also put the links in the show notes to the Jeffrey Marsh show and the Kathy Heller show. And I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your course. It's waitlisted right now, but mm, I'm sure yes. people can sign up. And then when it is available, you'll notify them. Yes. So they can sign up for the wait list. Let me know when the podcast comes out because I can probably give you an active link so just your listeners can access it. Because I hate when I do a podcast and then somebody waits six months because my values, it could be open all the time, but my values are to be very present. And so I only open it around two or three weeks a year for enrollment because I don't want to be constantly answering questions about the course and kind of running the tech side. Look at you with your boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> 
only took almost four decades. So, <laughs> so the course is wonderful. It's self-paced. It's designed for recovering perfectionists. So it's bite-sized little, you know, 10 to 15 minute video. And you can work through it at your own pace. You have access to it forever once you sign up. And then when I add things to it, like I added a bonus module on perfectionism and trauma, I'm going to add a bonus module on perfectionism and parenting. You have access to all the future iterations of it, which is really wonderful. And it's been an incredible journey. We've had people from all over the world. It's been really wonderful. Love it. And is there anything else that we didn't get a chance to talk about or that you want to say before we part ways? Infinite, infinite things. I think... (laughs) We touched very briefly on self-compassion and perfectionists tend to leave themselves at the bottom of the list, especially when motherhood gets added to the equation. And so, you know, the biggest motivator I've seen for parents going through this process is they are willing to change because they don't want to repeat the cycle with their kids. And so if there's someone listening to this where They've, you know, kind of been working on it and kind of been interested in self-compassion. You know, we are modeling the kind of life that our children take as the default life of how to live. And so if that gives you that extra push to challenge this in whatever way, I encourage you to listen to that little boost. Thank you so much for being here. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change. No one is perfect. This is what I say actually every show. (laughs) No one is perfect. But in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. So thank you for being here. Dr. Jen, it's been amazing to connect with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stacey, for this conversation. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.